Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. Welcome to Red Rum Blonde. We're preparing for a pretty big snowstorm here on the East Coast. Everyone's freaking out. Grocery stores are incredibly busy. They're getting totally decimated. It's like everyone thinks they're going to get stuck in their homes with their families, and it's going to be like The Shining. If that happened in my house, my boyfriend would come downstairs, and I would just be typing red rum over and over on my keyboard. But, you know, I don't have an axe, so we're all safe here. All joking aside, The Shining is one movie that really stays with you. Have you ever watched a horror movie that affected you? Like days after watching it and you're still creeped out? There's a chill when you enter an empty room or sense of foreboding as you enter that dark basement. I had that recently when I watched the movie Hereditary. In that movie, a woman is dealing with the death of her mother and they had this really strained, mysterious relationship. And without giving too much away, I'll just say that really strange things start happening to the daughter and her immediate family. And if you watch it, pay very close attention to the trunk that she opens of her mother's, and that'll give you some clues. It's a slow-paced film, but the ending completely makes up for it. I remember the film Don't Look Now kind of had that vibe. That ending that blew my mind and scared the shit out of me. Hereditary creeped me out. 
and it's really rare that I get creeped out by anything. The last time I was scared by a movie was The Blair Witch Project. And this had kind of the same thing. I was scared to walk to a part of the house by myself, and I was seeing things out of the corner of my eye, that kind of thing. And this is just one example of a movie having that kind of lingering effect. Movies stay with people. In fact, one stayed with one man so much that he claimed to have committed murder because of the film. Is such a thing possible? And this is no ordinary film either. In fact, it's impossible to find a copy today. It no longer exists. So what happened to this mysterious film? This week, I'll talk about the movie London After Midnight. So before I get into this week's episode, I just want to talk about a couple of things. So thanks to everyone for checking out the episode of the Abercast that I guested on. And if you haven't listened to it, definitely do that. You can easily find it wherever you get your podcasts. I posted a link on the Red Rum Blonde Facebook page. And speaking of that, please join the Red Rum Blonde Facebook group. I want to welcome to the group Margie and Aaron. Thank you for the good review, Margie. I really appreciate that. And I want to thank everyone for posting feedback on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram about the last episode, Japan's Killer Kids. It was really well received. Once again, I want to thank my friend Grace for the suggestion. And she also suggested this week's episode. When I run into her, she always says, hey, have you ever heard of? And it's always some really interesting subject. I totally love it. If I made any money from the podcast, I would pay her. And as always, I'm looking for suggestions for any episode. If you have any, hit me up on social media, or you can email me at redrumblonde at gmail.com. I really look into each and every suggestion. If I don't do an episode on it, sometimes there just isn't enough information for a full episode. But I keep a list of everything, and I can usually figure out a way to incorporate it into something. And I had to laugh the other day. I was watching Busy Phillips' talk show, Busy Tonight. She had singer Patti LaBelle on. And I thought about not watching it because I don't have too much interest in Patti LaBelle. But Patti said she loves watching the first 48 and the ID channel. So she's one of us. I think she needs to get into podcasts. Can you imagine Patti LaBelle joining Red Rum Blonde? That would be great. I've been thinking about having a guest on to kind of spice things up, so if you have any suggestions for something like that, give me some ideas. I had one really good suggestion from a really cool guy that I know. It's comic book artist Ed Pisker, and he suggested I try to get famed forensic pathologist Cyril Wecht because he lives here in Pittsburgh. That would be amazing, but probably impossible. Ed is a really great comic book artist, and he has a podcast on YouTube called Cartoonist K. Fabi. I'll try to post a link. He and his co-host Jim go through old issues of Wizard Magazine from the early 90s. It's really cool. I collected that myself. Ed has been working on X-Men for Marvel, so go check his stuff out. Anyways, on to this week's show. The film London After Midnight is a silent film starring Lon Chaney and directed by famed Freaks director Todd Browning. The last known copies of the film burned up in the 1965 MGM vault fire. In the movie, 
the abandoned home of a man who was thought to have committed suicide is taken over by very sinister looking tenants. So think of the Babadook when you think of this character. And this character is so creepy that one man said he was so plagued by visions of it that it drove him to kill. And the film and its history are so mysterious that some say it's actually cursed. Did this film truly drive a man to commit murder? Let's look a little deeper into what went on. So first, I want to go into a bit of history about the star and its director. Both were very interesting men. I think who they were played into this mysterious film. So it's good to know a little bit about them. And then I'm going to go into the film itself and the murder. So is London After Midnight cursed? Let's find out. The movie stars Lon Chaney, and he was one of the most famous stars of early cinema. Known for his ability to transform himself into characters with his talent with makeup, and his abilities garnered him the nickname, the Man of a Thousand Faces. Lon Chaney was born Leonidas Frank Chaney in Colorado Springs, Colorado in 1883, and he was one of four children born to deaf parents. It's thought that this caused Lon to get into pantomime as a way to connect with his parents. So if you don't know what pantomime is, it's a type of theater entertainment, and it's known for its audience participation. There's a lot of facial expressions and movement used in the performance, so it makes sense that he would have used this as a way to connect with his deaf parents. And when Lon was in the fourth grade, he dropped out of school to care for his ailing mother. When he entered his teens, he worked as a prop boy at a local opera house, and that's when he caught the theater bug. You have to remember, back in that time period, theater was really important. This was the early 1900s, so film wasn't the popular medium yet. Theater was what everyone sought out for their entertainment. In 1902, Lon co-wrote his first play with his brother, and then shortly after, he began performing on vaudeville. Vaudeville is a genre of theater that is variety-based. It's a group of different acts, you know, kind of like a modern-day variety show. Back then, it would comprise of singers, magicians, dancers, ventriloquists. From vaudeville was born other genres like burlesque and freak shows. Freak shows will play a part into the story a bit later. And a lot of people got their start in vaudeville, including Avant Costello, Buster Keaton, Sam Marks, who was the father of the Marks Brothers, Mae West, and probably the most famous was Charlie Chaplin. There's a really great podcast that covers a lot of old Hollywood called The Dirty Bits. And the host, Tawny, has one of the best voices ever. In fact, she's a voice coach. Each episode covers a different Hollywood star. She did Mae West and Charlie Chaplin. I highly recommend it. When Lon was 22, he met and married 16-year-old Cleva Creighton in 1906. Cleva was a singer on the vaudeville circuit, too. The marriage was not a happy one, though. But one good thing came out of it, and that was their son, Creighton, more famously known later on in life as Lon Chaney Jr., in 1913, Cleva went down to the Majestic Theater in downtown Los Angeles where Lon worked, and she tried to kill herself by drinking mercury chloride. 
she did not succeed. And the attempt ruined her singing voice, thus ending her singing career. A suicide attempt also blemished Lon's career. The two divorced soon after, and Lon began raising his son as a single father, which forced him to leave the theater world for film. But once again, we have to look for the silver lining. If that had not happened, the world might not know Lon Chaney's magic. So first, he worked in character parts under contract for Universal Studios. And this is when he began getting very adept at makeup. Any job he went for was basically his because he could come in full makeup, dressed as the character, totally blowing away the agents and directors. He got his first big break in a movie called The Miracle Man in 1919 as a character called The Frog. And this was a mastery of his makeup and acting, that finally got him into the public eye. In the film, he contorted his body and he made himself look totally grotesque. It was very well received, and in fact, it was the highest grossing movie of that year. Back in those days, there weren't makeup studios. Actors were expected to do their own makeup. And Lon's skills at doing makeup gave him the edge over some of his fellow actors. Because not only could he act but he could play almost anything due to his versatility gained by his skills as a makeup artist. Two of his more famous roles were as Quasimodo and the Hunchback of Notre Dame and the Phantom and Phantom of the Opera. You'll totally know what these characters are if you look them up. You'll instantly recognize them, especially that terrifying image of the Phantom skull face. But he wasn't just interested in the makeup aspect. He wanted to bring some sense of humanity to these characters. He wanted the audience to feel the pain of the characters. And in a sense, he became one of the kings of early horror cinema, like Boris Karloff. Lon continued working in film for years. And at the end of his short-lived career, he worked exclusively for Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Actress Joan Crawford said she learned more about acting from watching him than from anyone else. And sadly, during filming of the movie Thunder in 1929, Lon got pneumonia. And then later on that year, he was diagnosed with bronchial lung cancer. He was filming with artificial snow that was made out of cornflakes, and those lodged in his throat. And after that, he developed a very bad infection, which just got worse and worse. He died of a throat hemorrhage on August 26, 1930. His pallbearers were very notable Hollywood elites. Paul Byrne, Louis B. Mayer, Lionel Barrymore, Irving Thalberg, Wallace Berry, Ramon Navarro, and Todd Browning, just to name a few. In a sense, that would be like today having Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise, and Brad Pitt carry your casket. Every studio and office at MGM observed two minutes of silence during his funeral. He was a very beloved man. Lon had remarried and is interned with his second wife, Hazel, at the Forest Lawn Memorial Park Cemetery. His son, Creighton, went on to call himself Lon Chaney Jr., and he had a very successful career, much like his father's, which used makeup and costume to play a variety of characters. And his most famous role was the Wolfman in 1941. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Lon Chaney ended up working very frequently with director Todd Browning. Now, Browning's most notable for directing Dracula in 1931 and Freaks in 1932. And he also led a pretty interesting life. Todd was born Charles Albert Browning in 1880 in Louisville, Kentucky to a very wealthy family. Charles Browning was fascinated with the circus, and at age 16, he ran away to join it, changing his name to Todd. For years, he worked with the circus, and he did various work performing as a clown and even had a live burial act known as the Living Corpse. And just like Lon Chaney, he was a vaudeville performer. For a short time, he even partnered with famed director D.W. Griffith with the Biography Company. He eventually left acting to direct. An interesting and tragic event occurred in 1915 when Browning crashed his car. He was driving his car very fast and he crashed it into a moving train. With him in the car were actors George Sigmund and Elmer Booth who were killed instantly. Browning only suffered serious injuries, which was a shattered leg and a loss of his front teeth. During his recovery, he focused more on writing scripts, and he got further away from acting at that point. But it was directing that would bring him his fame. In 1918, he joined Bluebird Productions, where he met Irving Thalberg and Lon Chaney. And Chaney and Browning worked together for the first time on the film The Wicked Darling in 1919. Over the next decade, the two would work on ten films together. In fact, they worked on Chaney's last completed film, The Unholy Three. But it was the film London After Midnight that's the focus of the podcast, so we'll get into that. Browning went on to direct Bella Lugosi in 1931's Dracula. And in 1932, he brought his film Freaks to the screen. Now at that time, it was a very controversial film. It was even banned in the UK for 30 years. It employed and some say exploited carnival sideshow performers with deformities. It has since become a cult classic, though. 
at the time of the release of Freaks, it was not well received by audiences. Browning had a lot of trouble finding work afterward due to the controversial film. And sadly, he would never see the later success of the film as a cult classic because he died in 1962. So now let's get into London After Midnight. The Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer film was released in 1927 and it starred Lon Chaney, Marceline Day, Conrad Nagel, Henry B. Walthall, and Polly Morgan. So the story was based on a short story that Brown wrote called The Hypnotist. And he wrote the story with a guy named Waldemore Young, who was a former San Francisco journalist. And he worked on many murder cases, which he said influenced this story. So the story starts with the death of Sir Roger Balfour from an apparent self-inflicted gun suicide. But his best friend and neighbor, Sir James Hamlin, insists that he never would have killed himself. He urges an investigator to look into it, but he's pretty much ignored. Five years later, when a very strange couple arrive at the home, Sir James calls Scotland Yard, summoning the original inspector in Balfour's case, Inspector Edward Burke, who is also a hypnotist. And he arrives at the home to find three individuals who were in the house when the suicide occurred. And that would be the butler, Balfour's daughter, and the nephew of Sir James Hamlin. Now, at the time, Burke still thinks it's a suicide until Balfour's body disappears from its tomb and someone looking like the man is seen in the house. Burke then decides he has to recreate the crime scene and reenact the death to get to the truth, and this involves hypnotism. But the creepiest part of the film is the character known as the man in the beaver hat. So stop what you're doing right now and look this up online. It's a terrifying image. The character wears a black top hat and has these really sharp, menacing-looking teeth. And there are these dark rings under his maniacal eyes. Director Jennifer Kent admitted that this was the inspiration for the main character in her film in 2014 called The Babadook, which is equally scary. And Chaney, ever the showman, had special wire fittings that he wore to get that hypnotic bulging eye effect. They were something like a monocle. His costume and makeup were so effective that he was able to also play Inspector Burke, too, without anyone really noticing. So the film did really well, becoming the 10th highest grossing film of that year, but reviews of the film were mixed. Some thought the story was very incoherent and only good due to Cheney's acting and makeup. Others felt it did achieve in creating a very sinister atmosphere. But overall, it wasn't considered Cheney nor Browning's strongest work. Then a year after the release of the film, a murder occurred that was intrinsically linked to the film. On October 23rd of 1928, Robert Williams, who was an out-of-work carpenter from Wales, was found near Hyde Park, lying face down holding a razor, and he was bleeding from his throat. William said to the policeman who found him, I did it. She'd been teasing me. And the she he was referring to was Julia Mangan, an Irish housemaid waitress from Stanhope Gardens. She was found lying dead on the ground with her hand at her throat. Williams and Mangan actually knew each other. Julia's brother, Patrick, said the two knew each other approximately three weeks. 
and he had to throw Williams out of her place previously for being so drunk. Williams said he was so taken with Julia that he wanted to marry her, and he told her so one night when they were talking. And the last thing he can recall about that night is Julia whistling and then feeling like his head was going to burst. He had visions of a man in the corner yelling at him. And the man he described was the character Lon Chaney played in London After Midnight, the man in the beaver hat. So during his trial, Robert Williams testified that he had an epileptic fit during which he saw a vision of the man in the beaver hat with the hypnotic eyes and the razor-sharp teeth. And this is what caused him to kill his friend Julia Mangan. Initially, he said he wanted to kill himself three days prior to the incident, and that's why he had the razor in his pocket. But he never would have thought of hurting his friend Julia. A chaplain testified that he could recall five different incidents of insanity in the Williams family. A doctor from London said he treated the man for something called neurasthenia, and those symptoms fit the ones that he had. A headache, high blood pressure, anxiety, and depression. However, he wouldn't say that the man was insane. And there was also debate over whether or not he actually suffered from epilepsy. The jury could not reach a verdict, and there was a retrial in 1929, and the judge had this to say, I do not know whether you have been to see any of the film in which he acted, and he's referring to Cheney. One of them, we are told, is The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and another, London After Midnight. If any of you members of the jury have seen the later, or even the advertisements of what Mr. Lon Chaney looks like when he is acting in that film, you may agree that it is enough to terrify anybody. It is the story of a haunted house, and Lon Chaney takes the part of a person, really a detective who pretends to be a most terrifying ghost. If the accused saw that film, you may not think it remarkable, or is in any way indicating insanity, that he should be in a moment of emotional excitement, remember the horrifying terrible aspect of an actor in a part which he was purposely being terrible. I can myself see nothing in the vision to suggest that the accused is an epileptic. Williams was found guilty and sentenced to hang. But two weeks later, that sentence was changed to life in prison by Home Secretary Sir William Johnson Hicks. He felt that Williams should spend his sentence at the Broadmoor Criminal Lunatic Asylum. And this was pretty much the rest I could find out about this whole scene. I'm assuming that Williams lived the remainder of his life in the asylum. And there wasn't any more mention of the effect that London After Midnight had on him. In 1965, a huge fire erupted in Vault 7 storage space at the MGM backlot in Culver City, California. An electrical short ignited the stored nitrate films. Hundreds of archived silent and early sound prints were totally destroyed, and at least one person was killed. Some say the copies destroyed were the only existing copies, and such was the case with London After Midnight. Also destroyed in this fire was Greta Garbo's The Divine Woman. Now, a good bit did survive, they say around 65%. And thankfully, in the 60s, MGM began to transfer these nitrate prints onto safety film. In some sources, I've seen this referred as the 1967 MGM vault fire, but after digging around, I found out that it was actually 1965. 
So you can kind of see how some might say the film was cursed. I mean, Cheney died not long after this was made, and the only copy of it burned up in a fire. Later, after many years, stills of the film were assembled in a kind of 45-minute reconstruction in 2002. And then in 2012, there were rumors that another print of the film was found in Spain that belonged to a private owner. Stills were posted on Facebook and Flickr. But the end belief is that they were just simply cutouts from a trailer for the film. If a copy ever is found, it would be a huge discovery. This is one of the most sought after lost films, and it would go for a ton of money. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that they might find a copy. There was a restored version of Fritz Lang's Metropolis that was almost fully restored after it was thought to have been lost. They found one in an Argentinian museum. I would love to see a complete copy of London After Midnight, even despite the reviews of the muddled storyline. There are some very heated debates on online forums of people declaring that they've seen a copy and others totally calling them out for it. This was one of the more entertaining aspects of researching this story. You have to check out a page called somecamerunning.typepad.com and it provided some really fun arguments. There's so much mystery surrounding the film from the fire to the murder that it supposedly caused, so it all makes that lost copy all the more desirable. I really doubt that it caused Roger Williams to kill Julia Mangan. I mean, obviously, he had something else going on in his head. But, you know, stranger things have happened, right? That was the story of London After Midnight. I love old Hollywood, so it was really fun to learn about some of the things that I didn't know about. I didn't know a lot about Lon Chaney or Todd Browning. Like I mentioned before, listen to the Dirty Bits podcast. You'll learn a lot of really interesting things about old Hollywood stars. And as I always say, if you like the podcast and you'd like to leave a review, I really appreciate it. I like to say that Writer on Blonde is the little podcast that could. You know, each week it does a little bit better. I may not be able to compete with the big ones, but I'm really happy with where I'm at. Thank you so much for listening and catch you all next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.